Now, it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Bonnie Jane Hall, author of Reaching the Shore, a story of survival, courage, and endurance. If we don't already have a sense of the huge challenges we have in this country around incarceration, the huge numbers of those behind bars, of the inequity, of the juveniles that are also thrown into adult prisons, Bonnie's story and experiences with her son, Devin, who spent decades in prison and who adds his voice to the book, this book will hopefully be a wake-up call to the changes that need to take place. Bonnie Jane Hall, good morning, and so many thanks for taking time to be with us this morning. Thank you so much, Kate. I really appreciate being on your show. Well, I really appreciate that you have told the story. Uh, Reaching the Shore is just an incredible, incredible work. This true story of your family, your son, who as a teenager is incarcerated. And it's just mind-boggling to think of of a kid, I mean, a teenager, then having to spend the rest of their life uh, imprisoned. So that kind of gets ahead of myself. I do want to, though, again, thank you for having the heart and the courage to share this story with the world. Thank you. Uh, well, it's kind of a what I call a, a woven tapestry uh, of our lives and how my son's incarceration affected our family. Um, I couldn't find any books in the library or on the Internet that... Uh, that a family that talked about a family's experience in having a child go to prison. And so I thought, you know, that this book was really needed. And it, my experience encouraged me to write. And we are the better for it because you are so opening our eyes and our hearts, I trust, in sharing your story because you mentioned that there are over 2,000, actually 2,200 juveniles who are sentenced to life imprisonment. And, and they're sentenced to adult prisons. And they're not adults, which to me is horrible. And my son also went to an adult prison, and he was 17. And, you know, here these children are taken away from every luxury, every comfort, every kind, everything that they've ever had, and put in this cell uh, with no chair and a bed that's just a thin you know, like one inch on top of a steel plate. Um, they lose everything. And then on top of that, they have no touch, they have no love, they have nobody to hug them when they cry. They never cry, actually, in prison, only at night when nobody can see them, but they don't have any kind of affection. So it's a really terrible place, and I think that most people in our society have no idea of what prison is like, and that's what I've found in talking to people. They kind of think it's a vacation place, and it's anything but. 
And there would be some people who would say, well, if someone did this negative thing in in the world, then why should they have any kinds of comforts? Now, so we'll, we'll just set that out there because I can imagine people asking that. Here, we have to keep in mind to begin with that we are talking about juveniles. We are talking, your son was... 16, I, was he 16? He was 16. Yes. yes. So we're talking about youth. They think they're so grown up, but at 16, they're going through so much change. And only now are we really beginning to get more insight into that teenage brain. That has such an effect here as well, doesn't it? Oh, yes. And even the Supreme Court has ruled now that in, in 2012 they've made the ruling that um, that teens cannot be sentenced for any crime and given a life sentence. And that means for any crime, because they are impaired. Their brains are not totally complete. It takes a long time for the human brain to be complete. And it isn't really complete until they're between 20 and 25 years of age. So the problem is they don't have good control of their emotions, uh, and they, you know, can do all kinds of crazy things and, and not even be aware of what the outcome might be for them, you know, in what they do. So we cannot treat them like adults, and they should not be put in adult prisons. And it's sad to think of them being placed in that kind of a prison environment where also it, it sounded like there was some opportunity for your for your son, for Davin, to have some access to education. But I think in many cases that's not available either. Well... The first place they're going to go is to jail. And jail is sometimes worse than prison because there's nothing for them to do in jail. There are no courses. They can't even go outside in most jails. They're not even allowed to go outside of the the cell. My son was in jail for nine months. And so for nine months, a whole bunch of boys are just shoved in a cell and they played cards, they can read, but mostly they fight. And, you know, it's just a horrible situation because boys are very active, and uh, there's nothing for them to do there. So they're, they're almost anxious to get out of jail, and uh, in prison at least they can go out on the yard if they're brave enough. Uh, they can go outside every day. And you're saying... And Bonnie, just let me interject when you say, if they're brave enough, explain to us why you say that. Because it's a very dangerous world. Uh, a lot of people, you know, think that the the, uh, the guards are there to protect the prisoners, but they're not. The guards are there to protect the prison, to make sure that nobody sets a fire, nobody breaks anything. You know, they're really there to protect the prison. So the worst prisoners actually run the prison 
the guys with the worst reputation, and in prison reputation is everything. So the guy, the meanest guys, my, my son calls them the wolves. They basically run the prison. They have, like, and there's about 20% of people in prison that are not people you would ever want to let out of prison. And then there's 80% of people that are just kind of like you and me, except they got caught. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. So those those people that run the prison, they run drug cartels. They are like kind of the mafia of prison. And uh, so it's so bad for kids because they can't really protect themselves from these people. And Davin found out at a very early age that he would have to fight. And in prison, they call it gladiator school. So that means they put you in this ring, and you're going to fight for your life or die. And only one out of a 100 at that age ever walks out of prison. Most of them die. And Davin had 28 friends and people that he knew that died in prison, you know, before they ever could leave because they were either killed or because of health problems. Um, So it's not a place you want a child to go. And Davin himself had a serious health problem, and it is so unfeeling that they think everyone's faking, the guards think they're faking, so he didn't have attention given to his appendicitis. That's right, and so his appendix burst. In This happened in jail. His appendix burst, and they let him lay there for a few days, and finally... Somebody checked his fever. Was his, he was very hot. And so then they took him to uh, the hospital. And when they cut him open, he was full of infection. They had to remove most of his tissue. And then they had to put uh, kind of a mesh inside of him to keep his organs in place. And so that was very difficult. And then he had a hard time eating a lot of different things. And... He had to go back. He spent about seven months off and on in the hospital, and they didn't expect him to live, but he's a tough kid, and he did survive. And he weighed 90 pounds when he actually went to prison from the surgery and everything. And you have pictures of Davin in the book, and we can see at times where he is this very slightly billed kid at the time, uh, that it's amazing. It's a miracle that he actually was able to survive. Oh, it is. It's totally a miracle. It was, I think, God just wanted him to survive. Um, But he, you know, one of the things is the first two years he was, he said he got in a lot of trouble and he fought a lot just to stay alive. I mean, he was fighting all the time to stay alive. And then it dawned on him one day that he had to do something more or he wouldn't live through this experience. And he found a book in the library uh, that was uh, 
Man's Search for Meaning. And he read that book, and that really affected him. And he realized that he there's one thing, they couldn't take away his mind. They couldn't take away the time that he had to better himself. So he started taking classes, courses, and he wanted main the first thing he wanted was to have a Tai Chi master and he read a book on Tai Chi and he was able to get because the prisoners are allowed a spiritual advisor and so he was able to get a Tai Chi master to come in and teach him Tai Chi as his spiritual master so they never knew what he was being taught, but he was being taught Tai Chi. And that is a very self-defensive type of martial arts. And um, he learned how to protect himself. And his teacher even said that he was the student that he had always been looking for. And over the years, he became a master. And... Uh, he taught uh, Tai Chi to prisoners and guards. So uh, he was allowed to teach in the prison, and he was really good at it. So that helped him to survive because he was very small, and he could handle anybody that came after him. So that really helped him. And then he studied martial arts, and he became a writer. He loved writing, and he had, there was a teacher that taught writing. And after the teacher left, he became the teacher of writing. He became a law clerk. He read over 4,000 books. He managed the television station for the prison. He did these speak-outs in schools where he taught kids about prison. And he worked for the inmate uh, to create a better prison for the inmates. And he was a wonderful writer, so he did all of those. And I think his quest was to expand his confined life and give back with his unique perspective of being a human being. And in that, he has truly succeeded. Yes. He was was just so incredible. I couldn't even imagine it. I mean, I'm the mother of three children, and I have to say that my daughter, when she was five, I found out that she was a type 1 diabetic. And that in itself was just really heartbreaking. And she has done so well in her life, and she's really very professional woman, has had a job all her life and, you know, has a happy marriage. Then I had a son who has high-functioning Asperger's. He did so well in his life, and he went to Caltech, and he went to Silicon Valley, and he did everything great. And But the, the interesting thing was that he used to write letters to his brother, and I have read those letters. And he would tell Davin all the great things that he was doing in his life, the trips he made to Machu Picchu and all his travels and 
his girlfriend and their lives. And, you know, Davin never once showed any jealousy at all. I was so amazed. He was so wonderful. He was just so happy for his brother to have that kind of life. So he was never jealous, or he never complained about being in prison to anyone. I never heard him complain about his health problems, prison life. He would say things like, it's very hot in the prison, but he would never make it sound like it was something that he couldn't cope with. So he was taking, has taken so much responsibility, even in a case that has so many questions, so many gaps and holes in it, but yet he hasn't spent his life just bemoaning that and complaining. He's really done something. He's done more than some people who are not behind prison walls. That's the truth. I mean, he became so incredible. And when he, after 27 years, when he left prison, people could not believe that he had ever been in prison. I mean, I have a lot of friends who, you know, I had a lot of people write letters for him to try to get him out of prison. And so he met with these people, and they said they couldn't believe it. I mean, he was just, he didn't look, he, he looked like a college guy. He never looked like anybody. He never had a tattoo on his body. All the time he was in prison, he never joined a gang. And gangs are really big, and most people join gangs for protection. And he was, <laughs> I mean, his parole officer didn't know what to do with him, actually. He said there's just, I mean, he never drank. He never had a drug problem, so he didn't have anything that he really needed done with him when he came out of prison. But I want people to know, but they never feel free, even after they're out of prison, because they're always worried and scared that if they do any little thing, like even if they got in a car accident that wasn't their fault, that they might end up back in prison. He was so afraid of prison, you know, so... Justifiably so. Yes. So this bothered him a great deal. And, uh, of course, his health was in really bad shape, so he worried all the time about the insurance and would we have enough money to take care of him and all those things because, you know, they gave him $50 when he left prison to start his new life. (laughs) (laughs) So, Which is a joke. yeah, Yeah, well, I felt so sorry for other people that don't have a family, and yes. I, that's why they keep going back to prison, because there's no way they can make it, you know, in the world. Yes. But because he had a loving family who cared for him very deeply, he was able to come home, and he said it was such, so wonderful just to have a, a room that was quiet. You know, it's so noisy in prison all the time, all night, all day. And he said, how do you keep the house so clean? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that clean, but to him, he's always complaining that prison was so dirty. (laughs) So So he's grateful for these simple 
little things that others take, we take, can take so for granted, but he right, appreciates life. Oh, yes. And, you know, it, it was so hard. The other thing about having somebody in prison, it's really hard to know what to say to them. It was for me being his mother. I was afraid to talk about anything good because I didn't want him to know that I was having a better time than he was. And it was very hard for me to enjoy things that he could never have. So it changes your life. So in a way, I felt like I was kind of in prison with him on the edge, you know, because I just didn't want to share a lot of things with him. And those were the very things he wanted to hear. So I want to tell people, if you write to somebody in prison, just be yourself and write about all the happy and the good things in your life, not to be afraid of that. People in prison need letters so badly. Uh, It's so important to them to be in touch with people on the outside. So if you can, write them letters. You can even hire people that will write letters to people in prison. And also, they need to know that they can call you. In order to call you, they have to call Collect. So you have to have your phone set up so they can call you Collect. And it's so important for parents to be there for their children, to always let them know that they forgive them and that they're there for them. And that whole system of the phone calls and calling collect uh, at times feels like this huge penalty that it's controlled by some corporation. It feels right. It feels very suspicious that it's all just very regimented that way. Oh, it is. I mean, prison is a money-making enterprise. We have three point. No, I'm sorry, two point five million people in prison in this country. And over 2,000 of them are children. And there's something very wrong in America because we either have the worst people in the world or we have the worst justice system in the world. There's something really wrong. Or I guess maybe we have very unhappy people. Uh, But we need to figure this out. Yes, it is really unconscionable the incarceration rate that does exist in this country that rivals uh, third world countries. uh, We're worse than that. So I'm with you, Bonnie. Can we really be such bad people? I don't think we are. And I think that there's a lot of unhappiness here. And I think there's a lot of poverty here. And I think a lot of people, I think personally that America doesn't really put children before everything else, like they do in some of the European countries. I think we don't help the families in this country enough. Uh, The government or somehow there's something missing because we have all these school shootings. We have way too many guns in this country. And there's just something wrong here. And we have brilliant people here. We have people that have are very intelligent, and I'm, I'm sure that there are people who can figure out some of these problems and help us with them, if our government would let them. And are you not doing 
a lot, I would think, with your involvement with the organization that is Mothers for Prisoners Reform? Well, that's actually my, yes, I I started that because my son did so much work in prison. He worked with the college, uh, a college professor who helped him and pushed him to do a lot of work on prison reform. So all of the papers are there for anybody who wants to see how prisons could be reformed and how the whole prison system could be so much less expensive. Like, you know, in California, they're paying troubled kids $1,000 a month to keep them out of prison, and it's working. And, you know, to have one person in prison in most states, it costs 30000 a year. Think about that. Exactly. That's a lot of money. And it comes so, to that place of where you said poverty is at yes. the root of so many reasons why people end up in prison. Yeah, and we take money out of education and put it in prisons. Yes. And that, it should be the opposite we should be putting more money in education out from the prisons. You know, we need to get different kinds of education schools for kids. Working with animals is wonderful for a lot of kids. And in some prison systems have these systems where kid, the, the guys in prison train dogs for service. And they love that because they get a lot of love from the dogs and they're able to give a lot of love back. In any kind of thing where, you know, a lot of kids just haven't had enough affection in their lives, they really need to work with animals. And in California, they have a program for girls that are in trouble, and they work with horses, and they love it, and that's just helping them so much. So there are so many things that we could be doing to help children before they get sent to prison. What we want to do is we want to stop it before they get there. Exactly. And I I do want to mention a book called Just Mercy, and it's written by a man who's an attorney, and he has a business, and they have about, at the time that the book was written, they had like 40 lawyers who work solely to get children out of prison, to keep them out of prison and to get people on death row out of prison. So it's a great book. And for people who are looking for an attorney, they also work pro bono. So I want parents to know that they need to find the best attorney they can for their child. And that might be a good place to go. Along with that then I really recommend your book, Bonnie, that you've written in conjunction with Davin. We have Davin's words in here as well. Reaching the Shore, A Story of Survival, Courage, and Endurance. Yes, I think it's a wonderful book to help people to really understand prison and to understand that no matter what life has given you, you know, I will read this from... uh, a woman who read the book. She said it was a true inspiration. The reader comes away realizing that no matter what cards fate has dealt us, ours is not to give up or give in, but to 
go without self-pity, journey through, conquer, and thus be transformed in the process. So no matter how bad we have it, we can make it through. And you're living proof of that, as is Davin. Yes. Yes. We are proof of that. I also want to mention that you have a website where people can find, again, connection and a wealth of resources. So it's a simple website name. BonnieJaneHall.com. And again, so many good resources, connections there that will help us to all be part of being this movement to create change so that we can see a a country that has a much, much smaller prison uh, situation and certainly fewer prisoners then. Yes, and that's why I started the Mothers for Prison Reform. I, I really wanted to bring mothers together. Because I think women, we have so much strength. I think women are incredibly strong. And I know how much they love their children. So I think if women really take up this challenge to make the system better, that it will happen. But it needs to happen with people in the community and in the cities. And I feel that you certainly are part of the inspiration of uh, moving us forward in that regard, Bonnie. Thank Uh, you. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thank you, really, for having this courage to write the story, share the story, and not the least of which spending time with us this morning. I do appreciate it. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Bonnie Jane Hall and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Scott Litton. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, Find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Click on the Honor tab, then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of being connected, doing something that helps you bond more strongly together. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning.